This is episode number 27, part 2 of the Full English Breakfast. I'm Macaulay Peterson. And we close out 2013 with a look back at a few of the characters not named Magnus Carlsen, who nevertheless graced the chess headlines in the past year. We'll have links at our Facebook page to some background to these highlights. You can find them at facebook.com forward slash the FEB. But for now, let's dive back in, picking up where we left off with International Master Lawrence Trent and Grandmaster Stephen Gordon. Happy New Year, everyone. Well, talking about the generational differences, this was a big year for another character who, uh, going into the year, I think uh, most people would not have expected to see such a string of performances from, and that's Boris Gelfand. He played a relatively minor role in the candidates, but as you mentioned, Stephen, winning the Tal Memorial and uh, also boosting his rating to his own personal best through some very strong performances, also winning in the Alakai Memorial and uh, in one of the, the Grand Prix tournaments. Uh, Lawrence, you had some thoughts about this when we were talking before. Uh, given Vlad's form and Gelfand's success and even Michael Adams getting back into the top 10 at the end of the year, uh, winning Dortmund, this conception of a peak age, do we have to reevaluate that, do you think? Well, I, I, the truth is, it's either a case of us having to reevaluate peak age or us not uh, respecting the maxim that class never goes or class never disappears. Because if we look at Gelfand, if we look at Mickey Adams, if we look at Vladimir, these are guys who are uh, not only at the top of the game now, but they've been top of the game for the past 20 plus years. And there's a certain education that these guys have gone through that has enabled them to reach such a level. Yes, of course, when we get to 60 and 70, there's no doubt that your level has to decrease. There are certain exceptions, such as Victor Korchnoi, but in general, of course, you're going you're gonna to lose the level. But being 40, being 50, do you really lose that much? Well, the evidence this year has shown that actually that might not be the case because... Boris has had the best year of his life, and that's after losing a World Championship match. So a lot of people would have just lost motivation totally. It's quite the opposite. Maybe a lot of pressure has been lifted from his shoulders. Maybe the World Championship match was actually something that was daunting. It's really refreshing to see that this peak age in chess is probably not as high as most of us expect it to be. It's probably not so much of a surprise to that generation that they're managing to stick around and even putting in what may appear to be surprising performances in these elite events. To see Gelfand winning things, I think like Kramnik, he's managed to adjust the way that he plays to suit more modern chess. They're, they're a lot less predictable than a few years ago. Um, I, I remember just after this World Championship match with Leiko that Kramnik had, I think it was in 2004 or 2005, he was given the nickname Dronik and sort of uh, a lot of negative press about the way that he 
he played chess and how unpredictable it was. But, I mean, if you watch these guys now, it's a totally, totally different approach that they've taken. And, yeah, the young guys are finding it difficult to break through and, uh, you know, push the older generation down the ranks simply because there's so much quality there and they've made the necessary adjustments. And with Mickey, well, I can't quite explain that one um, because he he's just got a couple of major wins, winning Dortmund in the way he did, Steve, when he, he won, what did he win, seven out of nine with this score in Dortmund, which is just a, an insane score. He didn't think it was possible. Yeah. I can guarantee you, if you ask Mickey before the tournament, whether what are his odds of getting seven out of nine? Where he wouldn't even give you an answer because it's just to say it just won't happen. Yeah, I mean they all possess a very good mental attitude where they try not to think about things out of their control, like the the final score. They're they're simply focused on playing the games and finding the best move in that moment that they can. I think the opinion amongst strong players, even the elite players, is that Gelfand and Adams are really high quality with a high understanding. Well, let's not forget also that uh, Gelfand would have put in a tremendous amount of work for his world championship match, including a lot of opening preparation. And we know that that, in fact, he's even uh, said that that kind of uh, sheer effort uh, will naturally pay dividends in subsequent events. Definitely, yeah. And he's put together a really excellent opening repertoire especially with black it's very difficult to put any pressure on him because he's extremely well prepared in very forcing counter-attacking openings which is perfect for modern chess really and then when he's white he's he's finding ways to keep tension and keep chances for an edge in a way that say anand didn't manage to do in their world championship match so yeah clearly this this effort that he put into preparation for that match is is paying dividends. Well, Kramnik definitely will have another chance to fight for the World Championship through the candidates tournament in 2014. In addition to qualifying by rating, Mm -hmm. he also finished in the finals in the top two, well, actually won the World Cup. Um, The top two of the World Cup uh, in Trump, so have a spot uh, also in the candidates. So by virtue of Kramnik qualifying by rating, and still finishing first, that actually allowed Karyakin to slip into qualification for the candidates in the spring, and that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kramnik, he was required to play even though he had already qualified because Fide um, uh, insisted that those who qualified to the candidates must participate in either the Grand Prix or the World Cup, and he passed on the Grand Prix series, so he had to play the World Cup in order to get that qualification spot, but the pressure was off. Sure, and I think that in some ways Vlad was at a bit of an advantage in Tromso. It's so much easier to play some good chess and be relaxed when, you know, this this kind of pressure isn't an issue. When, when he spoke uh, in the last press conference after winning the finals over Dmitry Andrekin, uh, he had kind of an interesting take on what his expectations were going into the tournament. And so here's a brief clip. Well, my goal here, well, there were two options for me. I told to my wife, if I want to be eliminated, I want to be eliminated quickly. Because then then I could use my wife with kids. They stayed still in this countryside till almost the end of August. 
So my idea was okay. I mean, if I if I get eliminated, I prefer in the second or third round. Okay, first I thought would be a bit embarrassing. So <laughs> so, the, so that's why. But but once mm. I go through the third round, which meant for me that I cannot anymore spend mm. holidays with my wife and kids because my daughter she goes to school already, so she had to come back to Paris. So then I already try really to win it. So that that was my plan, and it perfectly worked <laughs> finally. Mm. But uh, no, I'm half joking, of course. But from other point of view, I mean, I uh, well, I didn't have any special sportive plans here, really, not mm. at all. Uh, also, I didn't prepare so much, of course, because I just simply didn't have time after Dortmund. I just kind of came, packed and unpacked, packed again, and went here. But uh, somehow I started to feel at some point that, especially maybe a match with Ivanchuk was important. That okay, things starts to really go my way. I mean, my head is working decently, maybe not not perfect, but decent. And uh, and uh, well, my openings are fine. I play solid, and I don't know. Somehow I started to get this confidence and feeling that I might really win it, and uh, and that is what happened. So uh, no, of course I'm very happy now. I mean, for me. Okay, losing in the final would be quite annoying, especially since last during last year I took five second places. Mm. You know, so finally I wanted to win one tournament because, uh, and uh, uh, so I'm really happy that I managed to win, especially since I don't have any experience at all. It's my mm. second knockout in all my career, in fact, a classical knockout. If you are not talking about rapids, so. I, I'm I'm uh, very satisfied and actually quite surprised that I managed, but I don't mind such surprises in general. So it sounds like he stumbled into winning the tournament, uh, not uh, actually perhaps the most motivated for that outcome, uh, but uh, but there he was in the finals uh, against an up-and-coming Russian star who uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot more in the future as well. Uh, but uh, so far, uh, Andreykin unknown to the general public, I think. You know, it must be difficult for Andrejkin as well in this final when he's he's done what he came there to do and qualified for the candidates, and yet he has to get his head in the right place to fight for four more games against a very strong opponent in Kramnik. And uh, I'm a big supporter of Kramnik. I hope that in the next candidates he can win and hopefully get himself back into a world championship match. Well, someone who uh, will not be back in a world championship match, but also never seems to leave the chess world completely, is the uh, 13th world champion, Garry Kasparov. Mm. But he uh, did announce this year that he's going to be, uh, once again, trying to play a role in FIDE and running for the FIDE presidency uh, against Kirsan Ilumzhinov. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean... Okay, uh, so Gary has tried in the past, in some way or another, be it on his own uh, or as part of another team. He supported Karpov in the last uh, election. Uh, but this year, he basically said that he truly believes that now is the time for a change because kirsten has been in power for goodness knows how many years. I think it's 18. Oh, is it 18? I think it's 18 years. So he's been yeah. in charge for 18 years. Kasparov, having been at the forefront of a political movement, even if you want to call it, to uh, run certain organisations that he's helped set up, he has the experience now. He believes he's far more prepared. He's got the right links, the right network in order to give chess what it needs and that's from a sponsorship perspective that's from a 
political perspective and, and everything else. And he knew how hard it was being a professional and how hard it still is for certain top players to make a living. Despite that, he's going to cater for the whole of the chess community, from the top players right the way down to amateurs and, of course, a big emphasis of, of what he's doing is chess in education. Uh, he's also made a huge play for chess in the lesser developed regions. He's been in Africa, where his own chess program, for example, in South Africa has been extremely successful. There's a lot of promises he's, he's making. There's a lot of positive changes he wants to make. But, and this is the big but, the huge but, is it all pie in the sky? Is his election actually even feasible? That's, that's the big question for me. If we look at the previous campaigns, Karpov got beaten by like a 40 margin. Uh, previous to that, I think it was Bessel Koch got beaten by a similar massive margin. There is a huge challenge for him to even get close, to even get close to being voted in. A change would be good, wouldn't it? A majority of the chess community would be very pro for a change. Has he actually got any chance to break down this voting system, which is hugely encouraging corruption amongst different federations around the world to to vote Ilham Zhinov in? Kasparov must have as good a chance as, as most people to make positive changes for the World Chess Federation. I don't know whether he's got a realistic chance to get in. We'll see, I guess. We'll see what happens. Well, we're, we're certainly going to uh, have an opportunity to talk about the FIDE elections uh, as we get uh, closer to the Olympiad and the election itself uh, in August of next year. Now let's change gears a bit and uh, talk about another uh, general subject that, that uh, has come up a lot on the Full English Breakfast, and that is uh, cheating in chess, the perennial danger of uh, computer assistance uh, creeping its way into not just the uh, professional, but also the amateur chess scene. Uh, so you could not escape 2013 without hearing something or uh, discussing amongst your chess friends the infamous Bulgarian master Borislav Ivanov. And the thing that struck me about this whole uh, series of events was how much Ivanov managed to invade the sort of general chess zeitgeist. I mean, everybody was talking about this. People would be making jokes about this on live commentary. Um, you know, even like top grandmasters, you know, joking about how they would be frightened if they were playing against this uh, Ivanov guy. He's infamous because a bit like a serial killer, or certain serial killers in history sort of brags about his victims, right? Sort of bragged about how well he's done and he's gone on talk shows and, you know, made a little celebrity out of himself. Let's, let's get something absolutely straight. The guy is more guilty than O.J. Simpson, okay? There's an inconsistency and a consistency in this story. The inconsistency is that you can't perform at 2700 one tournament and then a month later lose to a 1920, okay, with black. just doesn't happen. So there's the, there's the inconsistency. And the consistency part is you switch on Ribka or Houdini and you compare the moves that he's played with that of Houdini. There's been a number of published works on this online and it is 
so clear that to have such a strong correlation with the first line of what these computers are saying is decent evidence, although, yes, there is an complete evidence, but... It's circumstantial. It's circumstantial evidence. It's a shame that he never really got caught caught, that they, he took that shoe off and there was some mechanism in there and he was getting Morse code for his toes or whatever it was. I can't take it seriously. I mean, maybe in the first interview he did, it's... It's pretty clear to anyone who knows anything about chess that this guy's talking absolute nonsense, saying that he he beat the strongest chess computer there is, Houdini, 10-0, and that that gave him the confidence <laughs> to feel that he could go and win these tournaments. I mean, what a load of bullshit. There's actually been no concrete proof that this guy's cheating. And maybe there are some people who feel that he's being very harshly treated. Because there is there is no concrete evidence yet. But, you know, all the evidence suggests that he's come up with a very sophisticated way of getting some computer advice during his games. In some ways, it's great that, um, you know, we've managed to push this kind of thing out of, or this guy, at least, out of the chess scene. But in some ways, I'm feeling a little sad that no concrete evidence was found. But of course, it also underlies you know, the very serious risk that even some slightly more sophisticated uh, mechanism for receiving computer assistance could be extremely disruptive in, uh, in a tournament. There's a danger, isn't there? There's a serious danger in open tournaments. I'm not, not so much talking about top-level elite events, but... In open tournaments, there's not enough things in place to prevent people from cheating if they want to. You can turn on your phone in the bathroom and switch on Stockfish or another computer and, and check out the best move. And it's easy and unmonitored. And it could happen yeah. in any open tournament. Do you know the most worrying thing about all of this? What happens when this technology, or if, if this technology not only gets into the hands of a, a, a relatively uh, weaker player, what happens when a 2650 suddenly decides, right, I'm going to do exactly what he did, but he's not going to be asked the same questions, he's not going to be looked at as suspicious, because he can go through a tournament. I mean, look at Seaman Agistai getting 8 out of 9, 8.5 out of 9 in tournaments. Nobody's questioned Seaman, and of course I wouldn't either. I don't believe he uses a computer whatsoever. But I'm just saying, imagine that we suddenly see one of these top GMs use it. He's going to be almost unstoppable. How do you then go about proving that a 2650 Grandmaster can't play like a, a, at a 3,000 level throughout a tournament? Um, and on top of all of that, unlike Ivanov, who was stupid enough to actually copy every move from Houdini, if you're really clear... Oh, yeah, if it's in the hands of someone smart, then you're in trouble because yeah. they only need to use it a handful of times in the game. Right. And for someone of strength 2650, it may even be a couple of times in a game. Yeah, exactly. Crucial moments. It may be that they choose the, the second best move. And then... The, the evidence is just very thin. It damages the, uh, the reputation of our game, unfortunately. If people read these news stories of Ivanov, then one of the thoughts is going to be, this guy's a complete idiot. But another maybe subconscious thought is going to be, how can open chess tournaments be taken seriously? Because a number of people could be, could be doing this kind of thing.
So we're putting a lot of trust in the chess community being honest people with a good set of morals who are not interested to cheat. Lawrence, say you played a tournament and decided to use this advice and you started performing consistently at, say, 2,700 and winning openings. Yeah. Well, you'd find you you were going to get a very difficult time from the the people around you at these tournaments because... What are you saying? I'm not talented enough? Is that what you're... <laughs> Well, they're going to start asking you questions about your moves and about games and in order for you to defend yourself, you're going to have to be able to explain with depth every move that you played and every decision that you took. Well, actually, this was proposed a while ago in the Ivanov case. Right. They were saying, look... I spoke to a number of grandmasters about this uh, in my travels, and, and they said there's just a really easy way. After the game, you pull him into a room and you say, you play bishop e5, but what happens if he does this instead of the game continuation? Yeah. And then suddenly he's got to calculate on the spot, in a tough position, exactly what the right uh, yeah. line is. Because you don't play bishop e5. I'm just saying a move out loud, of course. It could be any move. You don't play that move without knowing the other variations, right? And he just wouldn't have been able to do it. He's just not strong enough. Well, and in fact, uh, there was a moment in the year where he was called in to, uh, to take some kind of a chess knowledge test by the Bulgarian Federation, and he didn't show up. I mean, this was one of the most damning bits of circumstantial evidence also, is that he, he basically skipped out on this test and was banned temporarily. He yeah. was given a temporary ban, couldn't play in tournaments. You know, why doesn't he go to these meetings or when he's being called to an official assessment or whatever it may be? Why doesn't he just turn up and show the world that he's not? And the reason is because he's guilty. He's guilty, guilty, guilty. If I had a hammer on me, I would slam the desk with my hammer and... Case closed. The guy is finished, okay? Maybe he disappears into the shadows. I'm not completely sure that we've heard the absolute last from Borislav Ivanov. Uh, heading into the fall, we, uh, we actually had already one world championship this year. Uh, and that was, of course, the women's world championship. Ho Yi Fan, who's been a guest on the show, against uh, the world champion, the reigning world champion at the time, uh, Anna Ushenina. And uh, Ho Yifan made pretty short work of her uh, Ukrainian opponent to uh, reclaim the title of women's world champion. It's a shame that the match wasn't so competitive in the end. Well, it was clear that Ushenina was generally quite well prepared, but Ho Yifan's quality in the middle of the games was just too much for her to handle and um, turned out to be a bit of a mismatch. And it, it goes to show what an what an excellent run of form Ushanina was on to win that uh, World Cup, to take the title for some months. But um, Ho Yifan must feel extremely satisfied with her performance. She uh, managed to take advantage of every opportunity she was given. For starters, the best player won. I think there's no argument that Ho Yi Fan was simply not only better during the match, but is just a far superior player. Ho Yi Fan is, is really something special, and I think she deservedly has the title of Women's World Champion. I think the most disappointing thing about this match, and I think the most important point to raise, is the lack of media interest. You know, I didn't know about the World Championship match until... Game one had been played, well, and I imagine that quite a lot of people in the chess community found out after the first game. 
when when these reports come online. That's incredible to me. I mean, given the amount of progress that's been made with women's chess, the establishment of a circuit, the, the increase in the number of strong players and grandmasters, to have this so undervalued is baffling to me. And I don't think it did anything for women's chess. I think it was a hugely missed opportunity. And I just really hope things are, are different in the future. Well, where I think we're going to see uh, a real high-profile match in women's chess is uh, if a match between the world champion Ho Yifan and Judith Polgar were to come to pass. Well, you know there, there's talks. There, there are talks about this at the I, moment. I've heard about talks, but uh, nothing concrete. But that is a match that a lot of people are waiting for and that would generate both a lot of interest in the chess world and also a lot of... Uh, mass interest, I think. That would be huge for women's chess, this match, Polgar, because she's never played a world, women's world championship exactly. match. She's never been women's world champion. She's never had to be. She's never had to play. And now, at the same time, since she's so much higher rated than all the other women's world champions, right. that's really held back the title of women's world champion, I think, because you know, basically everybody knows, just from looking at a rating list, that the women's world champion is not the strongest player in the world, right. which has never, you could never say that about the overall world champion. Generally speaking, it wouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't be a stretch to say that the world champion is the strongest no, uh, player no, I, in I, history. I, I, but you, and in the history of women's chess, at least since Judith's uh, <laughs> been around. Well, Judith's, Judith's been, what, top player for how many years now, Stephen? 20? Clearly she is uh, extraordinary talent. And... In some way, yeah, women's chess may have been held back by the fact that no other women's players have managed to even get close to the sort of achievements that Judith Polgar's managed over her career. So speculation of a match between Polgar and Ho Yifan, I think it would be an, an excellent step into promoting women's chess. I actually yeah. think it's necessary. I don't think women's chess is going to get past that next phase elite women's chess without this match. And I think, I think Judith would play, let's say Ho Yifan gets to 26.50. Suddenly the gap is only 20 points. Ho Yifan proves her worth at mixed events. Suddenly she can say, look, Judith, I've proven that I'm a strong grandmaster in all of these events and I deserve a shot to play you to really decide who is the strongest female in the world at this time. Yeah, I mean that and uh, a good financial um, situation. That's going to be crucial. <laughs> that match is going to be a fortune. If that ever comes around, that's going to break the million barrier for first time for yeah. women's chess, I'm sure. It will, 100%. Yeah. I'd love to see it. A little bit of our year in review wrap-up. Of course, uh, lots more events. It's been an extremely full year this year and for the FEB we hope to be uh, coming back on a more regular basis as we transition and relaunch um, but I wanted to take a quick moment to thank all of our loyal fans we've gotten a lot of encouragement on our Facebook page I've gotten personal emails people have come up to uh, to us at tournaments asking about the show when is it going to be back oh it's really nice to know that we have listeners who enjoy us yeah. talking some nonsense at times but just discussing these topics so yeah, thank you for all your support that you offer. It's really appreciated. Absolutely.
And also, I don't want you to think that we've forgotten about you, that we've forgotten about our last episode. We actually had some prizes. We had a raffle going on. We've had a few people have donated to the show, and we will be honoring all of our commitments. All of our raffles will be coming back in future episodes. But since this is kind of a reboot, we also want to hear from you. Do you have any suggestions for the kinds of segments we should do, what guests we should try to have on the show, and maybe you want to get involved yourself? I think it would be fun to even uh, try to have a little bit more fan participation, hear a little bit about what it's like out in the wild. You know, from... you know me, Macaulay. I'm all for interaction. <laughs> That's my number one. I'd love to hear from these guys. Well, you can send your feedback and your uh, suggestions to producer at thefeb.com is the email address. So we will be uh, looking forward to uh, getting back into the swing of things, bringing the chess news in the way that only Lawrence and Stephen can. I feel happy. That makes me happy to hear that you're happy. I can't wait to see you again. Let's save this for another time, but the feeling's mutual. Hey, uh, my middle name's Interaction. <laughs>